topic of conversation was supposed to be the technological singularity, which is um, what I'm kind of all about, which is what I have been about for the last three years of my life, and which is probably what I will be in the next three years at least. But um, I'm also a blogger and a podcaster, and while I do not consider myself to be successful yet as a blogger or as a podcaster at all, Based on what I've seen in the previous sessions here before, I got so upset, my, my blood went so boiling that I simply had to address some of the nonsense that you guys heard before here, right? So that you do not commit blogging or social media suicide by following some of those instructions. Okay? So, unfortunately, I'm going to have to quit my conversation and, and talk about that. And in order to do that, I'll do it in a very specific way. So, first of all, what would be the benefit for you in staying here today and listening to my conversation? Hopefully, I will help you be a better blogger, better podcaster, make money, get a bigger audience than what you had before, be overall more successful. And as I said, I'm not an expert in the field. I don't consider myself to be an expert, but based on the people who were speaking before, some things must be said. Okay? And, you know, in contrast to some of those people, you know, if you speak on a topic, you can do it in one of two ways. Number one, hopefully results. Right? As I said, I don't consider myself successful, but compare my results with the other people's results and judge for yourself. And number two is meeting and learning from the best people in the field and extracting their knowledge and trying to utilize it in the best way possible because success needs traces. Don't go studying mediocrity because that's going to create only more mediocrity. You want to be mediocre? I, I would really hope not. So you'd want to learn from the best because that's how I try to do it. And that's why with that kind of measure I don't consider myself to be successful at all. Yet, here's some results that I've accomplished in the last two years. I've been uh, online for about uh, a little less than three years, started the website uh, for about six or seven months, then eight or nine months later I started the blog, another six or seven months I started uh, the podcast, and so I've been podcasting for, say, less than two years, and here's some of the results. Last summer, I got $30,000 worth of training in NASA. I got, honestly, a million dollar network. I met some of the richest people in the world, people like Peter Diamandis, the guy who sends people in space on the International Space Station with his company called International Space Adventures, the guy who is the head of the XPRIZE Foundation, the people who did the competition for sending the team in space, the first private team ever. And now Richard Branson bought them and is doing the, 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 the spaceport in New Mexico and is going to be sending people up for $200,000 a pop. 
I met people like such as Ray Kurzweil. Ray Kurzweil was recently featured on the Super Bowl commercial. The guy who put the voice in every one of your single form. The guy who created object recognition software. The first time it was used was for the help of blind people, the people such as Stevie Wonder, who was his first customer. And then eventually he went on to invent the Kurzweil synthesizer, which for those who are musicians know probably, you know, all the, the, the best people in the field, like Rolling Stones and, and anyone else like that, Paul McCartney, they're using it. And that's the best known singularitarian probably in the future in the world right now. I met people like Steve Wozniak. I rode in the Google Robocar. Um, I decided not to land the shuttle simulator because it's a no technology and it was about to be retired and I had better things to do at that time. Okay? Um, <laughs> I had the, the chance to to um, to get thousands of dollars, say this camera for example. Uh, uh, a blog reader of my blog decided to send me $2,000 just a couple of weeks ago so that I can buy a camera and I can record this so that he can watch it. And um, I've been very fortunate to uh, tweet and get airplane tickets to places such as uh, Silicon Valley or to Moscow, which actually I ended up turning down just last week. So that's some of the results I want to share with you. What I'm not doing here is I'm not promising you'll be able to do that tomorrow. So if you think, and I'm going to also make you very uncomfortable and I'm going to challenge you, right? So if you think it's going to be easy and pleasant and comfortable, just follow these guys and, you know, find yourself a better place to be. I'm all for that. You don't want to talk to the wrong people. So, um, okay, so how did I get what I did? And, and again, um, as I said, I don't consider myself to be successful, uh, but in terms of traffic and blogging, I'll tell you a couple of things. Um, I've had just 200 people short of 100,000 unique visitors a month. Uh, my best day was almost 10,000 unique visitors from across the world. Um, my most successful <coughs> podcast episode had 50,000 downloads in three months. Uh, and I'll tell you how I did it, so you can do it too, because it's honestly, it's not because of my uh, drop-dead gorgeous good looks and my amazing hairdo. It's, it's because of strategy and focused effort that I did what I did, and planning, and, and, and pushing as hard as possible. And you know what? I think most of us can do that stuff. So, in order to do that, I'm going to hopefully briefly run you through my personal story, and that's kind of very personal, and I'm going to be sharing stuff that I haven't shared before publicly, let alone on video. And uh, so, uh, but, but one of the principles is, you know, you, you have, that I've discovered is, you have to do what you fear the most, if you want to make a difference. You have to embrace your fear, and you have to go for it. And, and you have to do what you think is hard and impossible, and you have to be uncomfortable. Unless I'm kicking and screaming, I know that I'm not doing something right. So usually when I'm making any progress, I'm usually whining and kicking and screaming and complaining. And then, you know, a few weeks later, I look back and I'm like, I can't believe I did this. It's impossible. Yeah, but now it's already done. So, and how did you do it? Because you pushed yourself to do the uncomfortable thing. So again, if you want to be comfortable, if you want not to be challenged, if you want to keep going 
the way you have been going with your blogging and your podcasting and you're satisfied with that, go to another session. I want to suggest ways that you can be better in any way possible. And then finally, I want to conclude with the new world and the old world that's going away and the new world. The new world in which technology can remove everything. I saw people who have stepped on the moon. I saw people who are working on the future to do synthetic biology that can change your sex, your color, your race, your age, that can heal your, your wounds, your cancers, and hopefully uh, make you live forever. And that's totally insane, but it is being worked on right now. And it's not going to happen tomorrow, it's not going to happen the day after tomorrow, but it's coming. And that's what the singularity is all about, that's what transhumanism is all about. And people in Silicon Valley are working on it because that's where the first trillion years are going to be made. That's where the big bucks are, and that's where the future is for all of us. And by the way, just let me call on one person here. Thank you for um, Eric Boyd for being here. Eric is a fantastic guy. He's one of the co-founders of StumbleUpon. He is the one of the co-founders of StumbleUpon. He's the president of uh, HackLab.to. He's a, a note to get a super cool guy. He's the founder of SenseBridge, and he's a common speaker on issues such as uh, uh, hacking and cyborg. So he's the guy on cyborg and hacking and electronic jewelry. So thanks for being here, Eric. I appreciate it. Um, I'm just here to see you. <laughs> so let's see if it's worth it, your time. Um, so what's my story? Very briefly, just to share with you show you that, as I said, it's not a result of my good looks and my incredible hairdo. It's a result of effort and struggle, actually. So, you know, I, I have, one of my fears was, how can you start a podcast if you have a freaking Eastern European accent? You know, isn't that ridiculous? I mean, who's going to listen to you, right? Um, so I was born in Bulgaria. Um, when I was 13 and a half, my mom passed away from cancer. Um, my dad started drinking afterwards, and nine months later, we had a big fight with him, and I left the house. I was 13 and a half, 14. I was very lucky, I actually, uh, before my mom died, she, she made her sister promise that she would force me to study math and be it as good as I could possibly be at it, so that I can apply to what was at the time the best high school in Bulgaria and which had uh, very tough uh, entry requirements for math and literature. And my aunt, you know, forced me and tricked me and, 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 and all, no other ways so that I do about half the math problems that her other students did, and I eventually passed in and, and squeaked in in that high school and cruised in there. And that's where I learned English and, and Russian and, and all those other things. And so after I finished uh, high school, I decided um, I was conscripted to the army, by the way. In Bulgaria, it's the law, or at least it was the law. You either go to the army or you go to jail. That's, that's the choice, right? You know, I'm not a big fan of jails, so even though I had problems with authority, I had to go to the army. In the army, I spent one year, one month, and 26 days. And there were days that I didn't think I'm going to make it, honestly. Even though I was the most, one of the most awarded soldiers, I was at the same time one of the most punished ones because I tend to speak 
uh, and I don't bullshit, I don't beat around the bush, and in the Army that's the worst thing you can do, because when you have a senior officer, he's always right, and when you're right, again, rule number one, the senior officer is always right. And in war situation, actually, you get shot sometimes on the spot for speaking or disobeying order. And I did tend to kind of have my visions and views on how things should be done. So after the Army, I uh, started working as a hotel uh, receptionist in the first private hotel in Bulgaria. Um, I applied to a bunch of universities abroad. I was very fortunate <coughs> I was accepted to eight uh, universities in the States. I was accepted to the University of Auckland in New Zealand, only thanks to my good high school background, which, by the way, um, went deeper and further into the material than people here go in university. Right? But that's the old system. That's changed now. Too. Um, I didn't have any money, though, right? So um, Auckland University was going to cost me 30 grand. When I left Bulgaria, after I sold everything that I owned, I had about $3,000. When I bought my plane ticket, I had about 2000 The only place I could go in the States and get a student visa was West Virginia because uh, the tuition was 1200 bucks, And I had about 800 bucks left for me to survive for that term. So I spent a year living in the United States. I traveled across the East Coast. By the way, the best time I ever had in the U.S. was rickshaw pusher in Atlantic City on the boardwalk. I swear. <laughs> The most fun I've ever had, the most incredible people I met, and it was fantastic. The only thing is that I did get disappointed a little bit from the U.S. You know, I came from the Eastern Bloc, I was like, well, the land of freedom, land of opportunity. You know, now I know that that place is Canada for me. I cannot begin telling you how much I love Canada. For me, you know, Canada is the best place. So anyway, so I ended up coming here. I uh, did an undergraduate at the University of Toronto. I did philosophy. I started philosophy. I had very strong uh, stress on ethics. I, I did um, uh, express interest in ethics at times of war, just war theory, war and morality, things like that. Um, you can't do politics unless you're very good at economics, so I had to do um, economics. So I ended up graduating with joint specialist in political science and philosophy, minor in economics. Anyway, I finished philosophy. My first uh, uh, job was a stock market trader. I was working in an investment company. We were five people. We had a $350 million portfolio. I resigned in two months. I was uh, doing trades up to $8 million per day. I didn't sleep much. I didn't do anything else than that. I looked at my boss, who's been doing it for 50 years, and I said, do I want to look like that? The answer for me was no, even if I have a portfolio like he does. The answer is still no, and I resigned. <coughs> and I went back to uh, university. I was accepted to one school of economics. I decided labels are meaningless. 50 grand per year is not worth it for me. I'm going to New York. I went to New York instead. Um, I did international relations, and my specialty was armed war conflict. Uh, armed conflict. And I was looking for my thesis, I was looking for something cutting edge, something interesting, something uh, unique to do, something which hasn't been done before, something in which I could make a contribution. That was about 2004, 2005, just as the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan were starting. And I said, look, I've always been having this fascination for technology. This is the first time when machines are in charge of human life, lives. 
the first time we saw, and in the beginning they started with a couple of dozen predators and reapers and things like that. But this is the first time in our history when machines decide, by operator for now, eventually that part of the process will be automated too, whether a human being would live or die. So I said, okay, let me look at artificial intelligence in times of war. Let me look at robots killing people. Let me look at how this is impacting us now, how it's going to impact us a few years ago. I just wrote this summer in the good old robot car. That car has done 200,000 miles, has been in two accidents, once when an engineer was driving it on human mold and made a mistake and hit a pole or something like that, the other time when it, time when it was rear-ended by a guy on a red light in the back. So the car, the actual artificial intelligence is smarter and safer <coughs> than any of you here is, and better. And that's the future. Anyway, so... Um, I graduated, um, at the peak of the recession I sent 200 resumes, I have all kinds of international rewards, accomplishments, scholarships, I didn't have a single um, reply. And I stopped counting up 200 resumes. One of the resumes I sent out was to a blog, by the way, fantastic blog, the best blog in the Singularity niche, it's called singularityhub.com, fantastic blog, now I know the guy who started it, his name is Steve Weiner. And he's a former Google guy, fantastic guy. So I sent an application for that to that guy to get me as a freelance writer. He never replied. And I was like, darn it, what do I do now? And then I was like, you know what, I can actually do this. I can actually make a blog and do what this guy does. Maybe I'm not going to be as good as him because clearly he... You know, retired from Google, he, he got some stock options, he had a big push behind him, he knew a lot of people, he was in the middle of Silicon Valley, so I was losing every step of the way compared to him, you know, in terms of competition. But I was like, you know what, maybe I can try doing it. And you know, I, I took about a month and a half before I actually produced my first web page, and Tony here, who's a, a systems administrator at UFT, remembers perhaps the first page, and it was abysmal, it was just horrific, it was shameful, it was just terrible. I'm ashamed of it, but it got me where I am today, and that's something that you guys shouldn't lose. And so, I started blogging, uh, and bit by bit, I got to be better. And I'll tell you some of the secrets that, that I've discovered, and some of the secrets that served me well. One of the reasons why I, that I started podcasting is this. If you can't market yourself well, get others to market you for free. The biggest and best people in your industry can market you for free. How is that possible? Well, here's how I did it. I get to, to interview people. I've interviewed some super famous people in a specific field. People such as Aubrey de Grey, who is the head of the Sense Foundation. People like uh, Peter Diamandis. People such as Dan Barry, who had the, held the record for... Um, uh, the longest spacewalk, and twice he's been uh, in space. Um, people such as, by the way, James Martin, the guy who donated the largest ever donor in the history of Oxford University, gave them $150 million, started the James Martin School of Future Studies, lives on his own private life, uh, island in the Bahamas. You know, uh, people of that sort, Kevin Warwick, the first cyborg, the guy who connected his nervous system to the internet 20 years ago, and across the Atlantic, communicated telegraphically to his wife's nervous system, right? 
And what happens is this. I interview them on Skype, I record it, I take off the audio, audio, I put it on iTunes, I take off the video, I put it on YouTube, and hopefully I did a good job, so preparation is a key. If those people like your interview, right, because let's face it, if we're honest, the pe people's favorite topics are their work and themselves, right? People love talking about themselves and what they do. Case in point right here. <laughs> Thank you. I can't argue with that. So, so if they like what you do, what they end up doing is they end up tweeting and social bookmarking and emailing and telling their people about your interview. And in this way, you get those famous people to actually push your blog, your website, and your work. And so I ended up interviewing Aubrey Gray. And if you know anything about longevity and life extension technology, he's in every documentary on that topic, every Discovery Channel. He's running the Sense Foundation, who's got just a recent big grant from Peter Thiel, who's the founder of PayPal. He's connected. He's amazing. His interview had me 50,000 downloads in three months, just like this, 50,000 downloads. And it, it does get easier. It's very hard to get the first few interviews, but once you start going, then you start telling people, you know, I have 100,000 unique visitors per month. So I send an email to somebody and I say, um, greetings, my name is Socrates. Uh, I am the blogger uh, behind singularityweblog.com. I have 100,000 unique visitors per month. And I have interviewed people in your field, such as uh, Stephen Wolfram, uh, who is the, the guy who created the API behind uh, Siri in iPhone, and Wolfram Alpha guy. Aubrey the Great, H.G. Amandis, I just missed, was, I was just like this because his body passed away and we had to cancel everything, but we'll do that again. And, and when you tell people all those things, I offer a big audience, I offer all those people in your field who know who are your colleagues and people who you respect have already done interviews with me. Most people, if they can do it, because most people are actually nice people, if they've accomplished anything, usually I find they're amazingly nice and generous people with their time. They're willing to come and do it for you. And so this is what I did. And, and so um, basically, um, my second year, my, the idea is how do you blog and podcast to, to, to survive, right? Because if you're not making money, as I haven't been, and I still am not really, uh, it's very hard to survive. It's, it's almost impossible, right? So uh, there are several ways you can monetize indirectly what you do. And I found for me, last year was this. Singularity University, which is located in NASA's campus in Ames, California, in Mountain View, costs $30,000 to be there for 10 weeks. It's sponsored by Google, by Nokia, by the Kaufman Foundation, by, by Alphadesk, who makes the 3D software. NASA provides the location, the buildings. It's incredible. You're in the middle of the kitchen of the future of technology. It's absolutely unbelievable. So my strategy was like, okay, how do I go there for free, and that's like getting paid for my work, right? Because it's 30 grand, which I didn't have. And then I said, okay, well, I applied twice, and twice they turned me down, right? So what can I change in my application now that I didn't have before so that I can improve my chances? I'm talking to some pretty amazing people in the world. Why don't I get to find the most incredible people who carry weight in that environment? interview them, and then if they like what I did in our conversation, ask them for that as a reference. Now, how hard is that? 
right? It's not easy, but it's not impossible. And once you do it, it works. And so I, I was lucky to interview James Martin that I told you about. Um, he's actually the only living person who has 105 published textbooks on computer science. Who wrote him up? Incredible guy. He's written 110 published books. Okay? He's unbelievable, that guy. Unbelievable. So he wrote my one of my letters of reference. Letters of reference. Uh, already Greg was another guy who's, by the way, on the faculty of Singularity University. Doesn't hurt. Kevin Warwick, the first cyborg, wrote another one of my letters of reference. Doesn't hurt. Right? So what happened was I was put on the waiting list. And uh, I didn't know which way the way things are going to turn out until the very last moment. And 36 hours before the beginning of the program, I was called and I was told, you're accepted on a full scholarship. Come here, all you need to do is take your toothbrush and your toothpaste and you're set, right? I was, and, and just to give you an example of the power of social networking, and the power of community, right? I was so excited, but I didn't even have money for a plane ticket, right? So I just tweeted, I just said, wow, I can't believe it, I made it in, I'm going in on a full scholarship, wow. And 15 minutes later, one guys, one of my guys, one of my followers sends me an email and sends, you're incredible, you deserve it, I wanna buy your plane ticket. I'm like, really, are you serious? He's like, you deserve it, I'm gonna buy your plane ticket. And I was like, well, that's the power of a tweet. Of course, that's not just the power of a tweet, that's the fact that I've been doing, giving out in the community before that for, for at least two and a half years without ever monetizing and without ever asking for a favor. So, um, so I ended up going there. I have to tell you, it's the most incredible place in the world as far as I'm concerned. You meet the most incredible people, people who would never say something is impossible. Because they've heard it all their life and, and they've done it anyway, right? So Peter Diamandis' childhood dream is to be an asteroid miner. And he will be an asteroid miner one day. He's the guy who sends people in space right now and charges them a nice fee of like $30 million pop or something. So, um, so enough about me. Let me provide some value here. Based on the horrible, horrible things that I've heard in the last two days, what people taught you. And I'm going to just make, make it in the form of my top 10 Bingo. tips. My top 10 <laughs> tips, right? So, first of all, top 10 tips for blogging and podcasting. Number one, okay, do your homework, guys, and start right, okay? Learn from the best. If you learn from mediocrity, the only thing you're going to replicate is more mediocrity. You have to find the people in the best, the best people in your field. Don't listen to me. Each one of you is interested in a different field, different than mine. Find the best people in your field. Success leaves traces. Model them, imitate them, emulate them, contact them, read their books, ask them for help. Those people are always very generous and willing to help. Right? The breadcrumbs are there to be found if you're looking for them. Number two, and that's the first thing that made me boil yesterday, and, and yeah. I almost lost it, okay? If you start an online venture like a blog or a podcast, for God's sake, people, don't ever put it on a place like Podbean or LinkedIn or something like this, okay? Don't ever do that. First of all, 
they control you. They can shut you down for whatever stupid excuse anytime they want. Do you want to work with the risk that any day they feel like for whatever stupid and unclear violation of their, you know, uh, rules and regulations, they can shut you down? I mean, my brother-in-law's wife had a circus blog on Blogger. One day they decide, no, it doesn't fit. We take it down. We had to, Tony had to struggle for a month to get back the content, right? So, and there's other problems, right? When you have your own domain, so please guys, don't do that. Please find, buy your own domain. It's actually cheaper. There's places where you can buy it for five bucks, right? Pop Bean and the other places start so at daddy. 20 bucks, right? Not so daddy. The other guys start you at, at 20 bucks. You can start for five bucks and have your own domain. And that what, what that means is also you're building equity. Equity. You're not working for a third party, okay? You're building equity. One guy wanted to buy my blog now, and of course I'm not willing to sell and first the price wasn't even close. But I'm just saying <laughs> I'm building equity, right? You do you wanna be rewarded for your labor and for what you do and for what you're passionate about, or do you want to be a slave and, and be controlled by a third party that can shut you down anytime? Okay? So when somebody's making that mistake after six years of podcasting, that's a tragedy. Because that guy was a pioneer. He started three years before me to podcast, and he's a great guy, and he's very passionate, if you know the session I'm referring to, right? It's a tragedy that he's still there, but it's a crime if he's telling you to do it, okay? Because if you follow him, you you would end up like him. He's happy if you get four books for free that nobody's ever heard about and has never read. And he's like, yeah. And that's a tragedy for me because he deserves better. Number three, start an email list as soon as possible. Email list is the most important asset. His thing was like, well, I have my backup disk with my podcast. You know, if they shut me down, I can put it up. Sure, but people don't know where to look for you, man. They've been coming for six years to your Podbean or whatever links in uh, domain, and now they don't know that you're in the other end of the world. They're never going to find you, right? So have your own email list to be able, and, and if, if my blog goes down tomorrow, I know, and I don't have many, but I have loyal readers, loyal readers. I have only about 900. And by the way, there's a fantastic article written by Kevin Kelly, who's the chief maverick and founder of uh, Wired Magazine, and he wrote an article called 1,000 True Fans, or Loyal Readers. And his argument is if you can do that, you can make 100 grand a year. If you're an artist, a small business fan, you'll be set, because you have a community, you have a tribe which is willing to vote for, for, for a fight for you. Right, so that's the power. So if everything goes down tomorrow, I know with one email I can get 900 hits in one day on my new blog post somewhere else. And that's not much, but then good start. And those people would spread it, those people would bookmark it, and those people would tell other people. And this is how you build a community. So please, as soon as you buy your own domain, start up an email list, please. Please, be your own master. Don't be a slave to somebody else. Please, I beg you. So, number four, go, go for quality, not for quantity, right? And that pertains at two levels. First of all, the articles that you write. Don't listen to people who tell you, oh, you have to post every day. How often you post is important, but it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is how good are your posts. If your content sucks, nobody's going to give a damn about it anyway. So make sure that it's worth, if it's not worth your friend's time, 
And if your mom has hard time reading it, or your best friend is not even interested in reading it, how are you going to make other people who have never met you across the world read it? Right? So go for quality, and the same for subscribers. When people walk out the room, I'm thankful to them, because I don't want to waste your time. When people unsubscribe from my email list, I'm happy, because I know the people who stay there care. I don't want to deal with people who don't care. I don't want, I don't have time to deal with people who don't want to listen. So they can leave. That's their choice. I appreciate it. I don't want to waste your time either. So go for quality and the relationships. Number five, these guys, and that's the other thing that really upset me yesterday on the, at the SEO session. Don't write for search engines, for Christ's sake. Write for people, right? Search engines, and especially Google is working right now on killing all those SEO optimizers. And they're not there yet, right? It's an arms rest race. But eventually, they're going to get there. They are. And or if I were a betting person, I would put my money on Google, okay? And the smarter the algorithms become, the more they cater to people. Not to HTML code, not to stuffing uh, your article with keywords, and to all the other crap and, and creating fake links from link farms that nobody's ever heard of. So do your basics. Search engine optimization is important, right? So tag your, your pictures, uh, make good headlines full of key, keywords, but just the basics. Write for people. It's the people who make you succeed or fail. It's not a stupid search engine, okay? So when somebody says, oh, I got this, Search engine SEO sandwich, right? You put it to Flickr, you put it there, then you make this sandwich, and then you feed that sandwich to the to the robot that come to to to, to scan your your blog. You know that's a, a lot of you know, like do you wanna do you have robots to read your stuff or do you care about people, right? If you care about people like me, you should cater to people. Number six, please be authentic. Okay, but not authentic like the people in the authenticity session yesterday. <laughs> okay, and I'll tell you why. First of all, all those people work for companies, right? So right there, there's a huge conflict of interest. Second of all, don't tell me, oh man, if a company, and I can't believe people do that. If a company gives me free stuff, even if my hair falls off, I'm going to say it's the best. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, are you serious? Are you serious? Are you, are you completely oblivious to the fact that the internet never forgets, ever? You can do that only once. Once. And then for the rest of your life, people would Google you and you, they would see, you are the guy who made other people's hair fall off. Right? Do you want to do that to yourself? I mean, honestly. Or, or don't be like that other girl who telling me that I don't understand uh, uh, social media because, it, in all honesty, nothing has changed. She has a degree in public relations and, you know, used to be written, now it's just not written as digital, but everything else is the same. And um, she's a blogger, but she doesn't write negative reviews, she only publishes positive reviews. And she's authentic. How can you be authentic if you don't write negative reviews, okay? First of all, I don't usually write reviews, and I only write about stuff that I use. But if I decide to do something, here's my commitment, okay? And this is where authenticity and honesty comes to play. You take on writing a review, okay? You don't know if it's a good review or a bad review. You write a review. And once you begin that process, your obligation is to complete it. 
If it's a good review or a bad review, you have to finish it. You must write what you found for yourself. And if you're writing a bad review, don't feel guilty about it. You're still providing a public service to somebody who is considering that product, who has a similar problem like you do, and who could benefit, save their time, money, and effort, and may be grateful that you warned them about it. So, if you're telling me, I don't publish negative reviews and stuff like that, you're not authentic for me right there. Okay, because none of us is perfect. Everyone screws up. And when you screw up, by the way, you have to own own up to it. Like, I recently, by the way, had a total, well, perhaps one of my biggest screw-ups ever in, on Christmas Eve. And I literally ruined uh, Christmas Eve for my whole family. Right? Literally. And it was one of the most ghastly experience, most shameful things I've ever done in my life. But, and it took me only minutes to realize it. And that was even more painful. And I had to, to own up to it. And the damage is done, and it's going to take years to be repaired, right? But I'm willing to stand up to it and first acknowledge it. I, I totally messed up, and I'm really sorry. And I'm going to, it's going to take time, but, it's going to, but I'm going to work to improve it and fix it eventually in the long run. So when you screw up, don't, don't tell me, like, I'm an honest and authentic blogger, um, but I don't write this, and I don't write that. Simply because it doesn't look good. You know what? Nobody's perfect. You including me, including the product included. So write the good with the bad if you want to claim to be honest and authentic. Um, num uh, number seven. Okay, I'm running out of time. Number seven. Give first, give often, and give a lot without asking or expecting something back. Don't be like that guy. Oh, call the best people in your industry and tell them, Here's my interview, here's my podcast, here's my article, it's really good. You know what? The truth is nobody cares about your article, your blog, and your podcast, okay? They care about themselves and their problems. So instead of asking them to help you, go and help them first. Go and see what they need and do it. And don't expect or ask for anything in return. And eventually things are going to start paying back in the long term. Don't market yourself or your product. Don't say, well, my market is the best, my product is the best, I'm the best, and stuff like that, because probably you're not. But more importantly, find a cause to campaign. So campaign instead of uh, market yourself and your product. Campaign. Figure out the cause. Say if you, if you have a, a product for weight loss, right? Start a campaign against obesity or against heart disease and say, okay, there's a bunch of products there. Mine is one of the good products there. It's certainly not the only product on the market, and but I believe it's, it's one of the best products out there. But start a campaign and make a difference and people will appreciate your work and your product and will reward you for it. Number nine, you know what I told you before, it's not easy, it's not comfortable, it takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of being uncomfortable and a lot of stretching the limits, your limits. But there are no shortcuts. You can't do it, you know, it takes 20 years to have an overnight success. It took me two and a half years to make it to NASA, and I'm still struggling, by the way, even though I had people sending me $2,000 for video cameras and for this and for that, I still haven't quite figured it out yet. And that's why I don't consider myself to be a successful blogger. But when somebody walks in the room and says, well, this person has been, this means she's been the oldest, blogger in Toronto and she gets 6,200, <coughs> sometimes 6,200 hits per day. Are you kidding me? You know, that's that's really not that much, honestly. 
honestly, that's really not that much. So, so, so that's why I said, well, I had to step up to the plate and, and, and tell people, you know, what's possible there. So do the work, number nine. Number ten, never give up. Never give up. I'll give you an example. That guy, Dan Barry, that I met this summer, he's this astronaut who had for a while the longest spacewalk record. He applied 13 times for NASA. 13 times he was turned down, okay? First time he applied, he was 23. You know, when you're 23 and somebody says no, it's one thing. When you're 35 and somebody says no after 12 no's, it's a different story. It takes real guts and real commitment and real belief in your dream and in what you can do and really putting yourself out there on the line to pursue your dreams and to never, ever, ever give up. So those are some of the myths and, and mistakes that I wanted to, to dispel um, for you from the talks that I attended yesterday and which kind of hijacked the topic of my conversation today, um, which was originally supposed to be uh, on the topic of the technological singularity. So as far as the singularity is concerned, um, maybe I should just do a two, three minute preview and tell you some of the things that are happening, right? So in the old world, we had to abide by, by things which were impossible. But by things which took governments billions of dollars and lots of time to, to accomplish. Nowadays, we live in a new world in which anything is literally possible. There is a doctor called Dr. Anthony Atala. Ten years ago, he, he bioprinted uh, a bladder and he uh, transplanted it uh, to a which at the time was an adolescent boy who is now a healthy adult from his own stem cells. Okay, and it's working perfectly normally. So, the, the technologies that we're looking at are going to change the world, really. And we're looking at uh, things such as uh, genetics, robotics, nanotechnology, space, uh, communications, computer science, artificial intelligence. I told you, I actually took a ride in the Google Robocart this summer. We went to the Lawrence Livermore National Ambition Facility where people are working on fusion now before they used to make nuclear bombs. Um, I decided not to fly the shuttle simulator because I had other things to do and meet better people and more interesting stuff rather than obsolete government technology. Um, so, all I want to tell you is uh, perhaps two or three things more. And that is, there are several simultaneous trends that are going to literally change the face of this planet and which can uh, bring extinction to our species or help us live forever. That would challenge the very meaning of what it means to be human. You would be able to eventually change, as I said, your sex, your race, your height, your eye color, your body composition, uh, your cognitive capacity. Even I interviewed recently one of the foremost uh, neuroscientists in the world, his name is Dr. Randall Kuhner. He works on a project called Whole Brain Emulation. He said, mind uploading is not science fiction anymore. We don't have science fiction anymore, guys. What used to be science fiction right now is science in development, or science fact already, at least at the level of the lab. Things are happening that have never happened before, and the whole evolution, the meaning of us being human will change. 
And, people, and as I said, that's where the opportunity lies, that's where the power lies. That's where people in Silicon Valley want to make trillions of dollars and change the world. And if, you, if you're just idly looking and not jumping in, you're, you're running the risk of being left behind. So I, I'd invite you to get yourself educated and to join that, that, that uh, trend. So, put simply, what is the, the technological singularity? Well, the technological singularity, for those who are not familiar with the term, has uh, several meanings. So first, in, in just in language, linguistically, singularity is usually something unique, which is singular. It doesn't have a second copy of it. In mathematics, it's a problem with undefined answer, say 5 divided by 0, something like that. In physics, it's a black hole. It's a place where the space fabric of time and space ruptures. It's a place where the laws of the universe, as we know them, don't hold true. In the technological sense, there's three ways you can look at it, and they're coming from some of the smartest people in the world. People like John von Neumann, uh, Edward Taylor, uh, IJ Group, people who created Unfortunately, incredible stuff like the hydrogen bomb and the first computers and and so on. So three senses of the, of the term. Uh, one sense is this uh, meaning of intelligence explosion, right? Intelligence develops to a point in which your toothbrush is smarter than you. Just think about our cell phones, how smart they have gotten in the last 10 years. Right now, you have in my cell phone here, more computing capacity and more power than the President of the United States had at the peak of the Cold War. We told that there are 30,000 nuclear missiles. Think of the power, right? So that's the intelligence explosion. And everything is going smart. Your shoes will be smart. Uh, your glasses will have goggles with like projected eventually contact lenses. Everything is going smart. Eventually, some people say well, we're going to have smart dust and the universe is going to be waking up. Right now, we live in a dumb universe. So that, that's perhaps one way of looking at it. Another way is the event horizon uh, phenomenon. The, 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 the black hole um, concept, which tells us that we can see until a certain point in the future, and once the technological singularity occurs, we are absolutely unable to predict what happens next. Why? Because we stop being the smartest species on this planet. Machines will be smarter. They are already smarter in any ways that you can name than us right now, right? People said, well, uh, when Alan Turing predicted first that a machine would beat the human in chess, people say, oh, that's not possible. It's never going to happen. Gary Kasparov lost in 1996 to Deep Blue. They said, well, but chess is not really a measure of intelligence, honestly. Like, chess is highly logical. It's, it's you know, strictly, there are strict rules. It doesn't really mean anything. Language, that's what makes us unique. We're human, we talk, we communicate with language. Computers will never be able to, 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 to communicate better than us. Watson just defeated the world uh, record holder in Jeopardy winnings, Ken Jennings, and he annihilated them both uh, in, in Jeopardy. Watson, which was created again by IBM. And actually, I'm working on interviewing the guy who created Watson. His name is David Ruch. Um, and so pilots don't fly planes anymore, guys. They just take off and they land. Okay, everything else is autopilot. The drones that are bombing people in Pakistan, the new ones, they don't even take off. Everything is automated. The only thing that the, the operator does is he makes a decision to bomb or not to bomb. And eventually even that will be automated. I told you the Google car drives safer 
than what people would do on their own. Because we're emotional beings, we have all kinds of cognitive limitations. Eventually, machines will beat us at everything that we do. And, and when, once that happens, we are unable to predict what's going to happen next. We're stopping the smartest species on the planet, and that's why it's a black hole. Our ability to predict the future goes out the drain. And uh, the third way, which is associated usually with uh, Raymond Kurzweil, uh, is the accelerating change uh, hypothesis. Now, Ray Kurzweil is an amazing guy. I, I had the pleasure of meeting him twice. I'm working on interviewing him. He's like absolutely incredible guy, brilliant inventor, uh, made a difference in people's life, especially he started developing object recognition software to help blind people be able to read because he was flying on an airplane next to a blind guy who was telling him the hardest thing for me in my life is reading text because I'm blind, right? So as I said, it's never about you guys if you blog or you podcast or you invent stuff, it's about somebody else. So if you're blogging or podcasting, think again, it's not about you, nobody cares about you, it's about your audience, your listeners, what their problems are, what their dreams are, what their fears are, what their opportunities are. And if you have an about page there and you think that's about you too, you're wrong again. It's not about you, it's about them. It's about how you can help other people. And if you can do that, you know, the best way to achieve your dreams is to help other people achieve their dreams. And if you can do that, doors will open magically for you. You'll be able to tweet just like last week. I wake up, I check my email. There's a forum, Future of Humanity 2041-45 happening in Moscow. All those incredible people are going. In three days, I'm like, how in the world did I not hear about this? I'm on a thousand mail lists. How did I miss this, right? So I'm like, okay, what can I do about it? I can tweet. I tweeted. The guy who paid my ticket to go to NASA is like, do you need my help again? Last time I spent my money well. Okay, one problem solved. Ticket paid, right? I had the option. My wife was like, I can't believe it. You just found out about this? And you're able to find people to pay for you and send you there in like two days. Like, that's inspiring. I'm like, are you kidding me, hon? Like, I go away for 10 weeks to, to Singularity University. And what do you do instead of finding somebody with hair? You start a second business. You know, that's, that's, that's what's inspiring for me. But anything is possible. That's what I'm saying. And I don't have that many followers. I only have about 800, you know, and maybe four or five thousand among the different networks, you know, LinkedIn and Facebook, but it's not the quantity, it's the quality, and it's what you provide for them. So as I said, it's not about you, it's about them. It's about the difference you can make in this world. And if you go with the, with the, um, there's so much technical stuff that I wanted to tell you and all the opportunities, but we're out of time. So. If you want uh, to take one thing from our conversation today is this. We live in an incredible world. Absolutely incredible. Things that are happening today have never ever existed before in the history of humanity. Change is happening faster, deeper. Hundred-year-old companies and trusts and, and billionaires are collapsing overnight and people, uh, teenagers, come up with stuff that's worth billions of dollars and soon we we're going to see the first trillion years. And they do that by changing the world. And they're not smarter than you. 
they're not smarter than you. I, I've met many of them. Some of them are very smart people, but it really it comes down to focus and strategy. Right? I've been very lucky, right? I was accepted at Singular University on a waiting list for two months on a full scholarship in the very last moment. Why? Because somebody else didn't make it. Right? So you'd say, Nick, you were lucky. Sure, I was damn lucky. Sure. But I was working for two years until I get to be lucky. And I was in the perfect position. So when my fortune smiled at me, I was there to grab it. So fortune favors the prepared. If you guys are ready and you fight for it, eventually you're going to get lucky. And you know, I'm not ashamed to admit that almost everything that I've accomplished with my blog is based on luck. But the funny thing is that the harder I work at it, and the more I try to help other people, the luckier I get. And doors are opening for me magically. And I'm able to do stuff that I never thought possible for anyone, let alone for me. Right? So I want to tell you, you can change anything if you put your mind to it, and you can accomplish anything if you put your mind to it. But to do that, you have to first be committed to the result. You have to be committed, put yourself out on the line, risk everything, be willing to lose and fail. Be willing to lose and fail. I, I have a few failures and I can talk all about that. I mean, as I said, my first websites were horrible. And right now, when I look at them, I'm like, I can change a million things, right? But I don't have the money to do it. But it's infinitely better and it looks pretty, pretty okay if you look at it now. Why? Because I've been working at it one step at a time every day for the last two and a half, three years. So even the longest way, you know, starts with a single step. And if you start today, you're not wasting time. And 10 years from now, you'd be amazed. You'd be amazed where you got it. Thank you. I missed one thing. Uh, but back to the point Nicola, and I think it's evident to most of us in the room who've known you before and just probably just met you, is it's focused strategy, but the bigger part of that is the passion and that thing that comes from within you that just drives you to keep moving forward because you 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 change your topic because you felt there was something to be said. And that, that feel ability to shift because you're so passionate about this topic is what else makes you successful. And what makes anybody who wants to issue change in whatever topic you want to do is if you're you chew toy. Thanks guys. Yay. Thank you.